Lord had a lot of work to do with me because I was ready to be a published author in many ways, not just as an author, but knowing the writing industry and also my personal growth. I personally wasn't ready for the challenges of being an author. So he did that for a reason. And I'm so thankful people said, yeah. oh, it'd be so hard. It was hard going through those rejection letter years. Hey, it's Billy. I'm glad you're here. On today's episode of Start Small, Believe Big, we get to hear from award-winning author, Sarah Sundin. Sarah enjoys writing about the drama and romance of the World War II era. We are celebrating the release today of her new novel, Until Leaves Fall in Paris. Her best-selling novel, When Twilight Breaks, was a 2021 Christie Award finalist. The Land Beneath Us was a Christie Award finalist. The Sky Above Us won the 2020 Carol Award. And The Sea Before Us received the 2019 Reader's Choice Award from Faith, Hope, and Love. Quite a theme going on there. Both When Tides Turn and Through Waters Deep were named to book list 101 best romances of the last 10 years. Through Waters Deep received the 2016 INSPI Award and was a 2016 Carol Award finalist in Sarah's novella, I'll Be Home for Christmas in Where Treetops Glisten was a 2015 Carol Award finalist. She also serves as co-director for the West Coast Christian Writers Conference. In her new novel, Until Leaves Fall in Paris, she invites us onto the streets of occupied Paris to discover whether love or duty will prevail. More with Sarah in a minute, but first I want to thank you for listening. All of the Start Small Believe Big episodes, my social media links, and email are on my website, billyjouse.com. I would love to hear from you. You'll also be able to find the links to all of Sarah's books and how to stay in touch with her in the show notes. Now, let's not resist that small beginning, but persist in the next thing God is calling us to. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks for having me, Billy. I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited to hear about your new book. I will fan out on you a little bit. I met you way back in the day before I ever thought that I was going to write as an author at a Mount Hermon conference. And it was in passing. I'm sure you would never see me and say, oh, I think I saw her. Not, hey, Billy, how are you? But I just fell in love with your books after that. I've enjoyed reading them. And I am so excited about Until Leaves Fall in Paris. Congratulations. Thank you. And I do remember meeting. I remember the conversation when you were telling me about your baseball connection. I remember that very strongly. There you go. It's it's crazy when you meet people at this conference because you were actually, I think, helping out with the conference. You were on staff per se there. And it was just always so busy for the ones that were working and teaching that those of us that had extra time, we didn't, it, you guys were so busy. We felt like, oh, we don't want to bother them. But anyway, let's <laughs> let's open up about Until Leaves Fall in Paris. Tell us a little bit about it. And I'd love to know, like, where'd you get the idea for it? How did it all come about? Well, um, it started with an idea of I was doing some research. I was trying to put together a proposal. I had two ideas for a three book um, contract, and I wasn't, I didn't have an idea for the third one. And so I wanted it to be in occupied, an occupied country. And of course, France is popular. And, but I was working with Americans in these occupied countries. And I thought, well, were there Americans in occupied Paris? Quick Google search. Yes, there were thousands of Americans. And I thought, why? 
why on earth, if you're an American citizen and the Nazis invaded Germany, um, invaded France in May and June of 1940, America was still neutral in December until December 1941. So for a year and a half, Americans were neutral citizens in France. They could come and go. Now, if you had the ability to leave a Nazi-occupied country, don't you think you would? I guess we all think. Yes, I would. Get out of Dodge. Yes, exactly. So, But there were thousands by the time December of 1941 hit, the United States went to war. There were still several thousand Americans in in Paris, and the Germans end up interning um, quite a few of them, especially started with the men and then later on the women. So the question for me as an author is, why would someone stay? And like so many questions, this has multifaceted answers. There were so many reasons Americans chose to stay. And so I decided to explore those. And Lucy Girard is the heroine. And she is a ballerina. She's an American-born ballerina with the Paris Opera Ballet. Very prestigious ballet. She's worked hard to get this position. But she has very good friends who own an an English-language bookstore in Paris. And this was modeled off of Sylvia Beach's Shakespeare and Company, which was a real English-language bookstore owned by an American woman and she stayed during the occupation and kept that bookstore running into December 1941. So that was modeled wow. after real woman. So I thought, wow, why'd she stay? So anyway, so Lucy stays because the owners of Greenleaf Books are Jewish and they're trying to leave and they don't have all their monies tied up in the store. So Lucy buys the store so that they can escape. Um, now she's got a bookstore to run, but she's determined to keep it running for her friends. If the war ever ends, she wants the store running so that they can come back. So that's her motivation to stay. Um, Paul Aubrey runs an automobile factory in Paris, part of his family business. He is a recent widower. His wife just died. He has a four-year-old little girl. He wants to get back to the States. He has no reason to stay in Paris. It's full of memories. But the U.S. Army continues convinces him to stay because his company will have to sell to the Germans. He's convinced them just to sell passenger trucks, civilian trucks to be used for deliveries and stuff like that because he doesn't want to do anything to help the German war effort, of course. But he's working with the Germans. So the U.S. Army wants him to stay and to talk to his customers and to pass in pass intelligence onto them. So um, borderline on spying. But to do this, he has to look like a collaborator. And a collaborator is somebody who is actively working with the German occupiers. Obviously, they were hated by a lot of people. So he really has to swallow his pride to do his job. He has to look like a collaborator. And one thing Lucy Gerard hates more than anything else is collaborators. So of course, we've got a perfect setup for romance. <laughs> exactly. Perfect tension to total yeah. romance. That is awesome. I think as you're talking, I'm just sitting here thinking, what a creative mind you have that you're going from this research of just a question. You start out with this question and you just take it and it takes you down this rabbit hole of all the pieces falling into place. Is that really how it works for you when you're laying out a novel, when you're thinking up ideas for the novels? 
Yeah. Um, more and more, mine are inspired by some little rabbit tail trail and research where I'll read that and go, wow, I never knew that before. And then, so what would it be like? Or what if? And letting that play out. So, um, yeah, they were, and sometimes it's um, my most recent book, When Twilight Breaks, was inspired by a little bit of family history that my my grandfather was a professor of German and I knew he'd studied in Germany. And then I found out he had studied in Hitler's Germany before the war. And I thought, what? <laughs> what would have been like to have been an American in Nazi Germany before the war? So that was my what if that led to that book. So, and then my what if with, with Until Leaves Fall in Paris. So it usually starts with something like that where it's it, the concept intrigues me so much that I need to know the answer. And hoping yeah. that that would also intrigue the reader. Like, why? Why would an American stay? Uh, of course, we we do have the benefit of hindsight of saying, well, yeah, we know what the Nazis were like, but they had less information than we do, too. So we always have to keep that in mind, too. Yeah. Well, I loved your book. Um, the one that was based on your your grandfather's experience. That your the way that your mind works in your books is so fascinating because you don't always know what's going to happen. And I love reading fiction that way, where you're 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 really questioning. Oh my gosh, is this going to be the way I think it is? And then boom, some of the changes, and no, it's not. And then it, so congratulations. I told you I'm going to fangirl on you a little bit. I don't want to do that too much, but I do want the listeners to know that your books are fascinating. If you have not picked up one of Sarah's books, go get them, get all of them, read all of them. You told me earlier, this is your 14th book. Yes. Wow. Congratulations on that. Thank you. I know. I still can't believe I, I, it's an honor to be able to do this yeah and to be able to do it for a pseudo living that's 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 an honor (laughs) so for you when you talk about doing it for a pseudo living i know sometimes (laughs) research can be more costly than you know what the book can yield at times did you get to go to paris to do Um, any footwork of research i know covid COVID. yeah you probably wrote it during covid so this is my total covid book um I'm very thankful I have been to Paris before, so I was able to draw on those memories. Um, that helped. Um, the book I'm writing right now is set in Copenhagen. I've had two trips planned to go to Copenhagen that have been canceled. I have never been to Copenhagen, so I am relying on research and Google Maps and pictures and my imagination. Yeah. It's yeah. not the same, but it, it has to do. We have no choice. So we usually, usually before COVID, I would always have a research trip for each book. Usually I kind of group um, three books together. So this for this series, I was planning to go to Munich and Paris and Copenhagen, but COVID. So I know it's really slowed down a lot of travel. That's for it sure. Has, it has. And I'm, and I'm, I have such a case of wanderlust. So I love traveling. I um, live for the next vacation and my husband does too. And, and we're just, you know, we just keep planning these trips and they get canceled. And now we're like, should we even try? Yeah. <laughs> My husband and I also love to travel and our oldest son actually played baseball just outside of Munich for a couple of years. So we got to go over and get an insider tour of Munich because it, you know, when you go into a country and you're a tourist, you don't always get to see how it is to actually live in that country. And that was really the first time we had experienced something like that of going into a country and being with people that actually lived there. You know what I mean? And yeah, so absolutely. quite an experience, but our, 
our wanderlust has has dragged on to him because now I think he's been to over 70 countries and he just wow. loves to travel. So he lives to travel when he's not working now. So <laughs> J-O-B, the job has slowed down his, his travel, but it's increased his quality of travel. He doesn't have to sleep at hostels all the time now. So. <laughs> So tell me a little bit more about um, your writing process. <laughs> when I talk to authors, I'd love to just hear because people sometimes think, oh, you come up with an idea, you put it down on paper, you got a book in a month, you know, kind of thing. What is the process you go through? What does it look like for you to go back and research and follow through with your little rabbit trails and information and trips if you're going to do those and all of that? Give me a your writing process, your timeline, what does that all look like? Well, um, point of clarification, there are authors indeed who get an idea, sit down and write it. I, sure. it's a, it is a magical process. They do it. And I, there are numbers of authors who write excellent, high quality books who write, we call it by the seat of the pants. There are others, and I am in this group, who are, do tons of pre-writing. We outline. I have spreadsheets and charts and, and questionnaires that I fill out. Um, and I'm at the extreme end of that spectrum. And there are a lot of writers in the middle who do some, some outlining. So anyway, it's a spectrum. And in, what amazes me is that people with such different processes can finish their process. And we all have what you all would call a novel. And you cannot tell by reading the novels which ones were written by the seat of the pants and which ones were written with intense outlines. It is a remarkable process. So that said, um, it does take me about a year to write each book. Um, partly is the research. Um, the research is ongoing about the time I pick up a new project to fully work on it all the way up until I turn it in. And then during the editing process too. Yeah. So start off with, as I'm starting, the, I do the, uh, the research really kind of goes, I start what I call with the big picture stuff first and then I get more detailed. Um, you know, so for, for until the leaves fall in Paris, like what was it like in Paris during the occupation in general? And then I was reading about the fall of Paris and I was reading about um, the American experience in Paris before and during the war. I was reading about the French resistance. I was reading about automobile factories because, and I was reading about the Paris Opera Ballet. So all these little things that take part in the story, I was reading about those throughout the process. And then I start my outlining process. It's concurrent with the research because I have a year and every year goes by really quickly. So I start with a characters are the heart of my story. So I get to know my characters first. I have a big questionnaire I give them and I just kind of sit down with them. Like, where were you born? Why did your parents live there? And I just have all these questionnaires that I go through. I give them a personality test because I, I'm kind of, I love personality studies. I think they're fascinating and I can use that information to know my characters better. And then how are they going to react? If you are um, you know, I'm an introvert. So I know when I have to make a decision, I need to go by myself. Nobody talked to me. I need to think about this. I need to pray about this. My daughter's an extrovert. When she has to make a decision, she gathers her four best friends and has a conversation. So I cannot have my extroverted friend saying, leave me alone. I need to think. No, she's going to grab her best friends. So I need to think like a person with that personality. And so I need to understand that personally well. 
then I start really going into my plot and I, you know, what's going to happen when, and I'm rest, I'm working between historical events because I, historical accuracy is very important to me. And so I have to line up the historical events and work those around and work my plot around those historical events. And eventually I get to the point where I'm sketching out each scene. I know what's going to happen throughout the book. Now it does change a lot, especially toward the ending. Um, there's a plot point that came up in Until Leaves in Par- Fall in Paris that didn't come up until I was about halfway through the book. And I realized something about Lucy's escape was flat. And I thought, what if I'm not going to do it? It's a big spoiler alert. It was like, what if this happened to her? I was like, oh, that's horrible. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's horrible. So, <laughs> so it's it's in the book. Um, so when you get toward the end, you go, oh, no, how could she do that? Well, that, that was the plot twist I came up with. So, so there are things that will arise while I'm out, while I'm writing the rough draft, especially toward the ending, my ending will shift a little bit. The basic thought fact of the ending is not going to change, but the how they get there. And I often I'm working out a lot of the details. Well, I know she needs to be in such a location at such a time and something's going to happen to her, but how does she get there? And, and how do I overcome the obstacles? And, and people might think she's stupid for going there. So I have to make sure that she's going there for a really smart reason. So I to wrestle with a lot of those things. Um, and then I write, that usually takes me about three months, the outlining process. Then I do my rough draft um, somewhere four to six months, give or take. I always give myself a month for editing after I finish the book and then I turn it in. Then part of that year, you put my, if those of you are into math, like that's not a year because I will have a month of editing at the other end for my my for my publisher. Plus I have a full month. This is the month of February. All I'm going to be doing this month pretty much is publicity. So I've I know that I work it into my schedule. I might pick up my new book. Probably not. I will be starting my research, but I probably won't be getting on my outline yet because yeah. I, this month will be publicity. Yeah. That's part of the process. So what a job. That is yeah. a full-time job. <laughs> It really is. Uh, yeah, you don't want to know how many hours I work, but I really love it. I really, and I've, people say, well, what's your least favorite part of the job? Like, I don't know. Um, I, I, there's so much of it I love. Um, some yeah. of it, when, I, when you're any job, when you're in the middle of like, oh, I hate this. Um, but then you come to the end, like, oh, that was fun. <laughs> so tell me, have you always wanted to write? I'm going backwards in my questions. I apologize. I'm not chronologically in order here. But as you keep talking, I keep coming up with questions thinking, how did you get started in this? Have you always had this storytelling mind? Did you walk, you know, wake up when you were six years old to a notebook or how did this all start? Well, I took the traditional path to becoming an author by majoring in chemistry (laughs) and receiving a doctorate in pharmacy and working full time and part time as a pharmacist. That's how all authors get their start, right? <laughs> like, what? That's great. So, yeah, no, seriously, I um, like, well, every little girl who want, loves to read fancies herself an author at some point. And so I like every little girl who wanted to read, I did fancy myself an author, but I put it up in the same category as becoming a ballerina. Now, like Lucy Gerard in Until He Was a Par- Fall in Paris, I took ballet lessons, but I wasn't that good at it. I loved it. I took it all the way through high school. So my love for ballet is able to come through in this story, which was a lot of fun. But um, I also knew the chances of becoming a professional ballerina were like this. And 
So I was just able to enjoy the ballet without thinking, oh, I'll become a professional. No, I wasn't going to be a professional ballerina. Um, And I felt the same way about writing. Yeah, this many people become professional authors. It's okay. I, I enjoy stories. I I'm kind of good at writing. I, I was I was good at writing, but it was I was I didn't have any ideas either. And I knew you had to have an idea to write a novel, obviously. And I never had a novel idea. So I went to school, got my degree in chemistry, got my degree in pharmacy, got married, had three little kids, worked part time as a pharmacist. My life is good. I was planning when the kids got older to transition to working full time. I had no other plans. That, that was my life. And I was very, that was a good life. I was very happy with it. And then one morning I woke up with a story idea and it would not leave me alone. I mean, obs- obsession. Um, and I, I was, my youngest was a year and a half old at the time. So I had a one-year-old, a four-year-old and a seven-year-old. So I was doing both the carpooling and the diaper changing. So a crazy time of life. I was sneaking in writing um, during nap times, when I, we were standing, in, I, I literally wrote down a scene on the back of an envelope when we were standing in line at Disneyland. It was, I mean, but the story would not leave me alone. So I wrote this this novel freehand on um, lined paper with a number two pencil. Wow. Putting it in the computer felt too real. It was like, oh, this, I'm playing with my paper, but putting it in the computer, that feels like we're really writing. So um, I didn't have the courage to tell anybody what I was doing for months. Like, I, it was so weird. It was so weird. I married a pharmacist too, and he's very, very scientific. I'd always had the creative side. He's always been like, just, you know, he almost falls over. He's so left brain. I'm like, what is this right brain? I do not understand what of this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the way I feel about myself, by the way, I'm more yeah, science. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. And I do, I'm, I'm much more left brain than most authors. Otherwise I could not have a degree in chemistry. Um, but it, I was almost ashamed. Like I was confessing a sin. I'm writing a novel. Shame on you for wasting your time. And so I finally confessed my writing and my husband kind of hoped it was a phase that would quickly pass. And unfortunately, I finished book one. Boom. Idea for book two. <gasps> wouldn't leave me alone. I was a little less obsessed with it. I was writing at a more decent pace. And then I had an idea for a World War II novel. And I kind of shelved it thinking, oh, that would require research. And of course, I thought, well, one of the reasons I'll set in World War II is because it would be easy. It wasn't that long ago. My, my grandparents were lived through it. They were storytellers. My grandmother was still alive at the time. She loved to tell stories. Like, oh, that'd be easy. I got an A in history, no problem. Uh, I'm kind of thankful I was so naive or I never would have started that novel. But that kind of percolated for a little bit. Um, And then I started writing this World War II. Actually, it started off as one. And then as I started working on it, um, I realized this was my first novel, first published novel, which was A Distant Melody. And the novel ended in 1943. And it was kind of a down point in history. And it felt like it was kind of a bad time to, it wasn't a triumphant ending. I thought, well, what if I was able to write about these three B-17 bomber pilots all the way through World War II? And like instantly, boom, because I knew my hero had two brothers. I knew they were all pilots. Um, I knew already one was, I knew already one was already flying a B-17. The other one I had, he was a, I had him as a pastor, but like, okay, I can flip that. Yeah. Them all B-17 bomber pilots. And I had them go through the war and they all had, and instantly I knew who they were going to end up with romantically. 
And I had, a, I knew I had a series and, and so that gelled and, and suddenly like, okay, now I have something that might actually be marketable. Well, I went to Mount Hermon. Um, you talked about being on staff. Well, I started off as a complete newbie going, I have a story. Anybody? I know you don't want to read it, of course. No, no, you don't want to read it. <laughs> you do? No. <laughs> really, you shouldn't. <laughs> so I started off that way. Um, I got, that was in 2003. I had some interest from editors and agents, enough to convince my husband that um, this phase wasn't going to pass and that okay. And so that kind of gave me some validation. Um, yeah. So I was able to, so, and then, um, but it took five years until I got a contract. I went to Mount Hermon almost every year for five years and kept hearing the same thing, which was historical fiction is not selling and World War II, no one wants. And 2008, I submitted again and Vicki Crumpton at Ravel said, Sure, send me the proposal. I said, okay, I know this drill. Here's the proposal. And a few months later, she says, you still have the manuscript? Like, yes, this is the this is the wallflower at the junior high dance. <laughs> She's still available. So I sent her the manuscript thinking, I, I've been to committee before, no big deal. This is, you know, I know what how this turns out. Well, then I got the 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 letter saying, we want to offer you a contract. And you know, I kind of what crazy screaming and wiggling my hands and doing crazy stuff. And my, my kids by then are much older and looking at me like, okay, mom's lost it. <laughs> so, anyway, um, but yeah, so I got my first contract and my first novel came out in 2010, which by the way, was 10 years, almost to the day when I woke up with that first story idea. Wow. Process. Um, the Lord had a lot of work to do with me because I was ready to be a published author in many ways, not just as an author, but knowing the writing industry and also my personal growth, I personally wasn't ready for the challenges of being an author. So he did that for a reason. And I'm so thankful. People said, yeah. oh, it'd be so hard. It was hard going through those rejection letter years. I would not trade them for anything. So yeah. that's that's the benefit of hindsight. So And it also gives you an amazing background and empathy for the new authors that are coming in to these yeah. conferences. And now you're the co-director with yeah. Writers mm-hmm. Conference, which yeah. I attended right yes. before the world shut down. Yes. And, and it was just such a beautiful experience. It's the one time I was already in California for something else and I... I went to the Writers' Conference, the West Coast Writers' Conference, and just thoroughly enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. Good job you guys have done. I know that you've kept up with running the conference during COVID via Zoom or, or whatever yes. platform you guys are using. Tell me a little bit about that conference and 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 what you offer and what you're what you're enjoying about it. Well, we um, the West Coast Christian Writers' Conference is going to be held online this year. And it's going to be February 17th through 19th. And um, primarily, a lot of the, some of the stuff is already registration is closed, but the primary conference registration is still open. And we have over 40 workshops with some of the best in the industry, editors, agents, authors, um, publishing gurus are amazing. And we also have our general sessions that we're going to be recording live, but then also showing on video. And we have Zoom chats and just some real fun stuff that's been planned. So um, it's not too late to register. And you go to westcoastchristianwriters.com and you can get all the details there. 
And I'm so and I'll put that link in the show notes if anyone's interested in that, that they'll be able to sign up for that. Well, one last question for you, and I probably should have fed you this question beforehand so you could have thought about it. So if you need a minute to ponder, you're more than welcome to. The question is, what small beginning did you resist only to let go and allow God to take you where he desired? Well, the writing, it was, it was, I, I resisted it. I was a pharmacist. I had plans. I was not a writer. I couldn't remember how to punctuate dialogue. I had to open a novel and look at it. I, I didn't, I tested out of college English. I hadn't taken any English classes since I, I took a couple, couple of electives that I had to take as a chemistry major. I had to take a couple of electives in, in language. So I took a couple of English, I took a poetry class and a short story class. That was the sum of all my English in college because I was studying about atoms and reactions and um, DNA. (laughs) It was fun stuff, but I I kept kind of talking to God and said, "Um, this story idea, I think you meant it to go to the woman next door, you know, the English major, because you got it in the wrong head. This is the pharmacist. And and so, and it really, it did feel feel like struggle. And it finally ended up being an issue of obedience with me. And the Lord was obviously telling me he wanted me to write. And I had to step out in faith and write. And it's, it's, I, I'm coming at it from a very different direction. Most writers, like they've always had the dream of writing and they hope that God hops on and, and blesses that journey. For me, it was the opposite where God was saying, guess what? You're going on this journey. I'm like, mm, no, did you see the, the doctorate in pharmacy that I spent eight years getting <laughs> that pays really well, by the way. <laughs> oh That's too funny. That is really <laughs> So, yeah. And so it really was an issue of obedience for me. And um, fortunately, he really gave me a passion for writing and a passion for these stories, which really helped. But um, it, there was so much about it that was obedience. And but he made it so abundantly clear that he needed me to do this. And it was, and I kept telling people he, he, um, he told me to write, but he did not tell me that I was going to be published. That was not part of the deal. Oh yeah. Okay. Now I'm married. I named Sarah and people are like, Oh, you're just like Sarah in the Bible. And God promised she'd have a baby. And she'd waited so long. Like God didn't promise I was going to have a book baby. He wow. said, right. So um, I had to be very careful that those two those two things were not the same. And I think that's really important for us in every aspect of our life. Sometimes God um, promises an outcome. Other times he just commands the journey. And sometimes the journey, we don't know the outcome. And that doesn't matter. Um, we need to have the faith and go on that journey. That journey, think about who is closer to the father than Jesus, the son, the outcome of his journey was the cross. It was a horrible, painful, humiliating death. And that was the path that God had him go on. And how many others throughout Christian history have been put on a path 
that does not have an outcome that we would say, yay, God, God is good. Um, God is good. But that path might end up with horrible, horrific, bloody mess. Exactly. <laughs> so I think we have to be very, and a lot of times we as Christians, we embrace Jeremiah 29, 11. Oh, God knows the plans for me. Yes, he does know the plans for me and they are for, for good, but they may not be what we personally would call good. And I always remind people, when God gave that promise in Jeremiah 29, he was speaking to a people who had just gone into exile for 70 years. They were at the beginning of that 70 years. Their outcome was going to be dying in captivity. Every single person who received that, that promise was going to die in captivity. And God still says, I know the plans I have for you. Yeah. Those are good plans. Yeah. So That's really good. Wow. Yeah. Great answer. I love that. I'm, I'm a Bible study teacher. <laughs> you can tell. You can tell. That was really, really good. And I do love 20, Jeremiah 29, 11, but it's like, uh, you do need to know the history of it and you need to keep reading and not just stop with, I know the plans I have for you. You know, you need to continue to understand what God is calling us into, which like you said, could be a terrible mess yes. that we don't see the outcome being positive, but it's all in God's good plan and in good timing. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Sarah, for being on Start Small, Believe Big podcast. I've really enjoyed this time. You too. It's been fun. Thank you. And listeners, remember, Until Leaves Fall in Paris is out today, February 1st. You can find the link in the show notes. Also, I want to remind you, as I have the past few episodes, that my second book is releasing on February 22nd of 22, Distraction Detox, Release Emotional Barriers, Restructure Priorities, Realize God's Best. You can find that link to pre-order in the show notes also. I pray this podcast has encouraged you to allow Jesus to work in and through your life, one step, decision, and action at a time. Thank you for joining me and Sarah today on the Start Small, Believe Big podcast. I hope you're back next week for another episode. Now, let's not resist that small beginning, but persist in the next thing God is calling us to. Be blessed, my dear friends. Until next time. Mm -hmm.